So, folks, let me introduce you again to Steve Beck, now that you can see him on the camera, managing partner at Sarah Ventures, who's dialing in from his car. This is a first. We've had people dialing in from airplanes. We've had people dialing from all kinds of places. Car is a first. So, great to have you here. Steve, let us um, introduce you to the audience. Tell us about the fund. How big is it? What kind of investments do you like to make? What is the focus and so forth? Let's get to know one another. Fantastic. Yeah, Sarah Ventures is a technically a micro venture capital fund, uh, which means we generally place between five hundred thousand and seven hundred fifty thousand dollars into uh, seed stage investment. Uh, from a large a fund size of about $50 million, we're, we're on fund three, the, the fund's been going for seven years, and uh, we have a very specific uh, geographical focus and thesis for our investing, which I'm happy to share later. But I've been doing venture capital for since 2000, uh, so for 18 straight years, but I've been with Sarah, my, my other partners, for these seven years. Uh, Sarah is headquartered out of Champaign, Illinois, where the University of Illinois is, also an office in Chicago, and then here I'm on the West Coast. So we're, we have kind of an interesting uh, geographical spread, which we call the distributed Midwest and the underserved West Coast, which I can explain later if you're, if you're interested. Yeah. So uh, how about a bit about your background? You said you've been doing venture capital for a long time. Is it all based out of the Midwest and, and working on Midwest uh, Ventures? No, my my story really is a story of being an entrepreneur myself. Uh, I, I never went to business school. I don't have the Harvard MBA. I, I actually just started companies. I started my first company when I was 23. Um, we exited that company to a publicly traded company called Foot Locker. Um, and then subsequent to that, I started the company up in the Silicon Valley. Uh, in 98 with some partners and exited that to another publicly traded company. And after I uh, got a little bit of funny money in my pocket, me and some guys started a venture firm and we learned that business. So um, my focus has always been the West Coast and my partners specialize in in this, what we call distributed Midwest. So it's, okay. my focus has been out here, but but our my partners focus out there. Okay, very good. So. Um... Talk a little bit about what do you like to invest in? What kinds of companies? What sectors? What style of companies? What what are, what is the interest area? Yeah, it's interesting. I you know one of one of my 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 thesis has changed. You know, one of my early venture investments in uh, 2000 was a company in China that maybe you've heard of called Baidu, and okay. uh, me and my partners we put 1.6 million into the 3 million pre on a company that I think now has grown to a market cap of, you know, $90 billion and is probably the, the third largest tech company in China, if not the second. And so I've had kind of the unicorn ride. I've experienced that. Um, but actually my, my passion and my focus is completely different. What, what, what I like now is I like companies where we get in uh, quite early, usually a four to six million pre-money, and we like to shoot for an exit within four to five years at about a 50 to $60 million exit. So we like base hits. We like to get into companies that have deep intellectual property or at least defensible IP um, and 
where entrepreneurs are not trying to become unicorns or they're not swinging for the fence, as I like to say, but they're rather, you know, looking as you kind of, you know, I think it's kind of your, your interest as well. Um, they're, they're trying to build something of value and, and exit early. And this, this works really well for our limited partners, the people who have invested in our funds. And it, it works great for our entrepreneurs. They can, they can get in, they can learn, they can exit a company and go do another one because they just absolutely love doing that. That's very good to hear, um, that kind of alternative investment pieces, because I think with 700-plus micro VCs in the industry, there is no way we're going to get, you know, 2,500 unicorns. Unicorns are supposed to be rare, so it's mathematically impossible to have that many unicorns. And I hear from too many investors that they're all chasing unicorns. So I'm actually thrilled to hear this, the investment thesis that you just laid out. So let's double-click down on that a bit. Um, B2B, is that mainly a B2B thesis? Actually, we're, we're uh, an opportunistic firm, and we have a fairly broad thesis, which is a little bit unusual. Uh, I would say about 70% of our fund is information tech broadly. And, and within the information tech realm, we do B2B SaaS. I know a lot of people feel that's played out. But it, we don't find this played out. We think that there's a lot of uh, sectors that are still awaiting disruption or uh, greater efficiency through a, a B2B strategy that's appropriate. Obviously, B2B is great because it's, it's a quick uh, path to revenue, and it, it's capital efficient. So you don't have to put a lot of money in the company to get the company uh, growing and ultimately, you know, uh, even self-sustaining if need be. Um, we, so we like B2B SaaS. We're, we're, we're big into uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, we like Internet of Things. We're, we like companies that are oftentimes big data, algorithm-based uh, type opportunities. So we, we, we invest in that area. Now, that's just 70% of the fund. The remainder of the fund, about 20%, believe it or not, is agricultural technology. Uh, oh. We've had some good fortune with ag tech. Now, ag tech is essentially – Information tech is pointed at agriculture, and it's usually an echo. So whatever we're seeing working in the valley, let's say, you'll see that influencing ag tech maybe in a three- to five-year echo. So it's kind of neat because you can see what's working, uh, what models are working broadly uh, in information technology, and then you can extend that into this huge market of ag tech. And uh, we've had – a lot of success there. We have an office at the University of Illinois, which is one of the largest ag tech hubs in America. Uh, mm. So we're seeing a lot of – we're exiting a company right now that I cannot name, but it is a fantastic exit. And uh, so we enjoy that. And then the third area is we do do some uh, devices, medical and scientific devices, which is generally not in favor with most venture capitalists. You know, devices are – capital intensive and uh, you know to take a little bit more money to get off the ground but what we have an expertise in it a couple of my partners have exited scientific device companies and medical device companies and we've had good fortune with that so we do continue to play in that space too okay so our focus is all IT and IT enabled services and um, within that spectrum your what you said about b2b actually, um, you know, that it's B2B is played out, B2B SaaS is played out. I don't agree with that because I think if you're looking for multi-billion dollar TAM opportunities, it is somewhat played out. 
But if you are open to the niche opportunities with early exits that are, you know, sub 50 million, maybe 50, 60 million dollar exits, that opportunity is not played out at all. If anything, that opportunity is wide open and people are not playing in that space enough. So, so I'm fully with you on your on the investment thesis that you laid out on B2B SaaS. Yeah, so we're having question. good fortune very much so. You know, I don't know, a lot of people don't know this, but the average exit in venture capital, uh, M&A exit is $55 million or right around there, which for most firms in the Valley, when they're getting it at a 10 million, 20 million pre, and they're putting 2 million into the deal, that does nothing for them. For a firm like ours, where oftentimes we're getting in at maybe a four, $5 million pre-money, we exit a company in three or four years at, at $60 million in an M&A transaction, that is amazing. I mean, that, that's exactly the kind of venture map that, that firms look for. You know, we, our, our firm, let me brag if I can just a little bit, our firm is in the top 10% of the nation in the metrics that, that people like to track for venture firms. I mean, everyone's heard of, you know, the, the IRR, the internal rate of return, like what's my percent you know, annualized that I'm going to get back. But what most people also look at, as you're well aware of, is this thing called uh, total, you know, uh, distributed capital, the paid in capital, how much money do I get back, how soon? And the total value, PVPI, of paid in capital. And in those in those metrics, we're, we are in the top 10%, and one of the reasons we're able to do that is because we're early in, early out, like you're talking about. We get in these SaaS, really great SaaS deals. They have great IP. They build a company. They, in, in four years, they sell the company for $40 million. It does not make for a good cocktail party story. No one in the Valley wants to stand around and hear about how you sold your company for $40 million. Um, but when you got in at three, that's a fantastic return. The entrepreneurs yeah. made some great money. A great technology was made. And our batting average, we're exiting 60% of our companies. So that, as you're aware, that's pretty unusual. So yeah. it's a really fun business. I, I love uh, the strategy you're mentioning and, and that we're – very solidly uh, standing in it. It really does work. Now, uh, what do you need in terms of metrics? Let's talk about B2B SaaS. What are you looking for in terms of metrics for a, com a deal coming to you? Are you looking for a million dollar ARR? Are you looking for paying customers but not yet velocity? What What is the comfort zone to get into a company? Yeah, Shermana, this, I mean, this gets a little bit ho-hum because we hear these types of things all the time. But, you know, what we're looking for are some of the obvious things, just to start with. Uh, you know, a big total addressable market that's, that's waiting for disruption. We're looking, obviously, for a, a, an executive team and a, founder, a founding group that we really believe in. That's extremely important to us. We, we know that many of the companies we invest in are going to end up doing something a little different than what their initial thesis is, so you're really kind of betting on the on, on the horse as well as the race. Um, but, you know, um, I, I would say that, uh, you know, in general, besides the team and, you know, good IP and technology, we're, we're looking at people that understand really that they have a similar idea of the view of the world is us. If someone's wanting to become a gigantic company, they're, they're, they're planning, they have visions of a $500 million or billion dollar exit, that's probably not a deal for us to take. Um, in terms of revenue, we, we, we want product market fit for sure. 
Mm -hmm. uh, we'd like to see some uh, monthly recurring revenue so that there's, you know, proof that the dogs are eating the dog food, as we say in the industry. But we're not one of these firms. I mean, if, if there's a, a million dollars in ARR, uh, that company is further along, actually, than what we're looking for. We, we want to take a little more risk and get in at a little lower pricing than that. So, uh, yeah, I think sometimes if there's just even revenue of well, – we've done pre-revenue deals. But even if there's revenue of sometimes, uh, you know, small 50, revenue a month, just so we can see some of the key performance indicators working, especially around customer acquisition costs. Uh, that's what we're looking for. Okay, great. That's that's actually very good to hear because uh, there is this one million ARR being a requirement for a lot of firms right now for B2B SaaS when they call it a Series A, and that's not easy to get to, right? It's it's you know, no, it takes it's, a lot of maneuvering, a lot of time to get to a million dollar ARR. You have to survive through that process. Absolutely, and if a company has a million dollars ARR in a SaaS model that's clearly working and scaling, and if they've done that in a short enough time frame where you can see that there, there's some ramp, you're not going to you're going to get a pre money a little bit higher in a company like yeah, that that that, right. that breaks our model. We we don't want to get in at a ten million pre, but we want to get in at a, at a four, five, maybe six, usually in the form of a convertible note cap with a little discount because that's that's how our model works. So. You know, you can bake the risk out, but you're going to pay more money for it, and you're going to make less on your multiple. Yeah. So um, the I just want to clarify one thing on the TAM question. You did say you want a large TAM, but I, I would put that in perspective for our audience. You know, the scenario that you're talking about, you can still make money with a TAM in the 300 to 500 million range. It doesn't have to be a billion plus, two billion kind of TAM. I would certainly ag agree with you there, and I, I think that, uh, you know, what what I'm trying to say is there, there's a lot of people starting SaaS businesses that are really doing lifestyle businesses um, where they've got a very narrow niche. They understand that business because maybe it was a business that they were in at some level they saw an opportunity, and they're building a business that's going to crank out maybe a few million dollars in revenue for them, maybe five, uh, but they're 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 not going to really grow a venture sized business. I I, I agree right. with you that yeah it, it it there's certainly I'm not talking I'm not coming at this from the Silicon Valley mindset. I I agree if if we can get a company into you know five years out if it has even ten million dollars in revenue that's a tremendous success. Yeah. So from one million by one million perspective, we support all of those entrepreneurs. You can be a good business, not a great investment. You build it as a lifestyle business, as a bootstrap business, self-finance. That's all fine. We are happy to support all of those permutations and combinations. I think in this context, in the context of Sarah Ventures, we're talking about how your firm works and, and what well, is a good investment. Yeah, because I, I'm a huge fan of lifestyle businesses. I, I don't think – I don't say that in a condescending or derogatory way. Uh, I think if you can build a business that you understand and love, that's based on technology, that's highly efficient, has great margins, you don't have to become beholden to guys like me who are going to tell you what to do. <laughs> but you can, you know, control your own destiny and, and, and build a beautiful, sustaining lifestyle business based on technology, that is a, a fantastic accomplishment and a very nice way to go. Um, you know, as soon as you take venture, there's pressure for an exit. 
That's and, right. and, and, and pressure for scale. building to a much larger scale and much faster. So those pressures are only worth taking on if your business has the structure to be able to deliver to those kinds of demands. Otherwise, it's Indeed. just not we're, worth we're the like, pressure. We're kindred spirits, Ramana. Can you, I, you, all the things you feel, that's what I believe. So tell us, uh, tell us about some of the companies that you've invested in. So let's just and 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 tell us in a way that you it uh, tell tell the story a little bit of when they came to you. What did you see, and and what what caught your attention that you that made you invest in those companies? Yeah, so I'll give you a, a story or two. I mean, you know, one, one story that's a really interesting story for me is is the story of my investment with Baidu. Um, and I, I assume that, that many of your listeners have heard of Baidu. When people talk about the tech industry in China, they, they talk about uh, BAT, B-A-T, Baidu, Alibaba, and Tencent. Right. Uh, and the, the fact that I was, you know, had the the – amazing honor and joy of being the first investor into Baidu um, and writing that how all the way through. How did that happen? Yeah. How did it find you? How did you find them? Well, that's just, this is a little bit what I, I've learned about venture and is, that, is this, is that um, I built a company with some guys called C2B Technologies. We sold it to a company called Ink to Me in 1999. This is way back yeah. before your listeners were born. And we uh, we had a great exit. We we started uh, a little venture firm, and one of the companies we began to help was called Biospace. And there was a, a lady there named Jennifer King, a young female entrepreneur in San Francisco that we really liked. We put a little money into her company and really came alongside her, rolled up our sleeves, which is one of our favorite things to do, and and, and operationally kind of just started helping her solve some problems. And lo and behold. She introduced us to her father, Bob King. She said, hey, my dad, Bob King's a, a pharmaceutical investor in the Valley. He's come across these guys from Asia, from China, that, that have this idea about a search engine, but he knows nothing about search. Um, and you guys built this. We built a product search engine, and we sold our company to the largest search company in the world. It was at that time called Inc. to Me that ran search at Yahoo, Google, Microsoft. Seventy percent of the global search market was owned by Inc. to Me at that time. It's a really interesting story about how Google cleaned our clock. But um, what happened is we met with Bob, and Bob said, hey, I got these two guys. They, they gave a 12-slide a, a deck, zero graphics, just black and white, sat in a room. The, the presentation was so compelling, we pulled Bob aside, and we said, hey, we can't let these guys leave the room without writing a check. So we came back and just said, look at Right there, one meeting, no due diligence, just literally one meeting, we wrote a check for $1.6 million. Um, and it came to us simply out of relationship and, and having what I like to call a servant mentality. Yeah, servant mentality towards our entrepreneurs. We, we like to come alongside our, our portfolio companies and serve them. Uh, we don't come to lord over them or to bring all our wisdom and, and tell them how it needs to be done. We like to roll up our sleeves, get in the trenches, ask how we can help, and, and assist. And when entrepreneurs get that sense from their investor group that, wow, these guys are our friends, it builds goodwill and, and good things happen. And so that was just a, you know, she would have never introduced us to Bob if we truly hadn't brought value just on, on a, a servant level to, to her company. 
Yeah. So right. that, that, that's the, yeah, it's an interesting story. Recently, I, I've got another story that a company I'm very excited about called White Fox Defense. And uh, in one sentence, White Fox has built a radio frequency uh, in prediction platform that controls drone movement in airspace. So they can put an invisible wall up, keep any mm -hmm. drone from entering any uh, geography. They can take control of drones. They can whitelist good drones and let those okay. in. And, and take. So they're a really interesting company. Well, what happened is I got invited to, to go speak at my alma mater for my undergraduate work at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, which now has a very exciting center for innovation and entrepreneurship. And I went and spoke. There were maybe three or 400 people there. And afterwards, they invited me to their hothouse where they were incubating 20 companies. So I went and looked at these 20 companies. And there were two that really stood out to me. One of them was White Fox. What stood out? Let me, here's the things. One was the fact that we know the commercialization of drones is in all our futures. We're going to see that happen. And and the, the need to be able to manage airspace is absolutely critical. Absolutely two, critical. So, so, two, the IP of being able to interdict a drone and, and control its flight without that drone's permission, that's complicated intellectual property. And I was very intrigued that they were claiming that they had done that. So that, that really made me interested to want to learn more about how they cracked that code. But most mm -hmm. importantly, the entrepreneur, the guy was 20 years old. He had four PhDs working for him. He was passionate, profoundly articulate, and he had a, an amazing uh, sense of, of business acumen at a very early age, I was, I was asking him a lot of the hard questions. He was coming back with really insightful answers. And I thought, I've got to research this company. I did. I put, I put an initial 600K in uh, to this company. I called some of my buddies. We rounded up 2.1 million, helped mm -hmm. this guy get started. And uh, within 14 months later, uh, I, can't, I can't disclose it right now because it's not public knowledge, but we have done a, a massive up round. Uh, on this company led by a, a very reputable firm, and their sales activity is global. Uh, it's just been a really, really fun ride. So, um, cool. That sounds great. You know, yeah. Yeah, for me, it was mostly the founder himself that really grabbed my attention in that case. Yeah. Very good. So um, what, uh, what are you looking for, right, if you – kind of think about all the trends that you've seen. You probably have seen hundreds, if not thousands, of deals in the last 18 months. Mm -hmm. what, what, how has that informed your current investment thesis, and where do you think you want to invest? What sectors, what types of stuff that you think, oh, I wish I could invest in that particular trend? Interesting. Yeah, we've, we looked, we've looked at 1,400 deals over the last um, 12 months. Okay. And, yeah, and we've, uh, we've invested actually as a firm, we've invested in 18, which is actually pretty active for, yeah. for a firm. Um, and, you know, I, I think what's, what's difficult for me in that, uh, to, to try to nail that 
is that we're so broad where I know firms that are, they're just IOT firms. That's all they do. It's just the internet of things. Or they're just a, a fund specifically focused on the AI opportunity. And uh, we are, again, very broad, ag tech, uh, scientific instrumentation, medical devices. We will do uh, B2B SaaS. We will do, you know, IOT, AI, all these things. So it's hard for me to, you know, I'm, we're more opportunistic. And really what really turns my, you know, crank and gets me excited are entrepreneurs. I believe in entrepreneurs. Uh, I have invested in, in entrepreneurs where their concept has failed, and yet they pivoted into a completely new concept with the same business and succeeded because they're, they're like a cat. You just throw them in the air, they will land on their feet. And, and I get a very strong sense about who the leader or the leaders are, and uh, that excites me tremendously. For instance, just, just uh, a couple months ago, I, I invested in a company called Verisim Life. Uh, Joe Vashney, she's a Ph.D., young, bright uh, woman that deeply impressed me. They're, they're developing an AI monkey, an artificially intelligent monkey, for doing FDA testing for drugs in the, in the United States for the drug process, which usually takes six years to test a drug on animals. They've been able to reduce that down to six months and uh, profoundly reduce animal suffering in, in, along the way as well. And with Joe, she just her energy, her intelligence, her optimism, her leadership, her, able, her ability to pull together people, those are the things I look for. And, uh, you know, in, 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 in the instance with Joe, uh, I was blown away. She, we invested, so did, uh, let's see, uh, Bezos, uh, Reed Hoffman, um, Bill Gates, and Mark and Zuckerberg all invested, co-invested in this early round with us. So I was really excited to get involved with Joe. She's just amazing. Obviously, other people felt the same way. It's really the entrepreneur that grabs me. Very good. On that note, I think uh, we're going to switch to the entrepreneur pitch session. Thank you for sharing your perspectives on how you think about deals because, you know, the reason we like to do these in-depth interviews with investors is so that our entrepreneur community gets a view into how people like you think about investment, right? This is not something that people are sharing that generously or that regularly and we have really tried to give them a platform through which they can have that access to that kind of thought process. So uh, thank you for being candid and, and uh, insightful. It's an honor, Shramana. Thank you, and I really enjoy what you're doing here. Uh, we love entrepreneurs. Uh, we think they're some of the most exciting and uh, fun people to be around, um, and it's just an honor.